scripture lesson today, I've chosen to read from the book of Luke, the 19th chapter. It will begin reading there at the 11th verse. This is called the parable of the pounds. This is Luke 19, 11. As they heard these things, Jesus added and spake a parable because he was nigh to Jerusalem and because they thought that the kingdom of God should immediately appear. He said, therefore, a certain nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and to return. And he called his ten servants and delivered them ten pounds and said unto them, Occupy till I come. But his citizens hated him and sent a message after him, saying, We will not have this man to reign over us. It came to pass that when he was returned, having received the kingdom, then he commanded these servants to be called unto him to whom he had given the money, that he might know how much every man had gained by trading. Then came the first, saying, Lord, thy pound hath gained ten pounds. He said unto him, Well, thou good servant, because thou hast been faithful in a very little have thou authority over ten cities. And the second came, saying, Lord, thy pound hath gained five pounds. And he said, Likewise to him, be thou also over five cities. Another came, saying, Lord, behold, here is your pound, which I have kept laid up in a napkin, for I feared thee, because thou art an austere man. Thou takest up that thou layest not down, and reapest that thou didst not sow. And he said unto him, Of thine own mouth will I judge thee, thou wicked servant. Thou knewest that I was an astir man, taking up that I laid not down, and reaping that I did not sow. Wherefore then gavest not thou my money into the bank, that at my coming I might have required mine own with usury or interest? He said unto them that stood by, Take from him the pound, give it to him that hath ten pounds. And they said unto him, Lord, he hath ten pounds. For I say unto you that unto every one which hath shall be given from him that hath not, even that he hath, shall be taken away from him. But those mine enemies, which would not that I should reign over them, bring them, bring hither and slay them before me. That's Luke nineteen, eleven through 27. We're talking in a series about uh, first century Christians, and this was based on a letter, I did not bring it, because I've read it to you several times, George Towns, uh, attorney here in Greenville. He's now dead, but he uh, was the brother of Charles Towns, Nobel Prize winner for inventing the laser. And I had written an article uh, for the Greenville News on uh, Jesus. And uh, so anyway, he, he had written to a friend at uh, University of South Carolina talking about our church. He called me and we talked Anyway, he said, I found first century Christians. He said, it's amazing that after all these years or centuries of Hellenistic or Greek restraints that we have found people that still breathe that same doctrine, that same atmosphere, apocalyptic and messianic. And uh, so anyway, that really intrigued me and made me feel wonderful. I think it's probably one of the most wonderful letters I've ever received. <clears throat> but I do... Uh, feel like we are first century Christians. And uh, even though we're living uh, as we are in the 21st, 
that that our doctrine is based on the doctrine of the early church, and that that to me is very important because I believe that people are the same as they've always been, and uh, therefore the what was good news back then is still good news today. Uh, for instance, when we reel off the number who are sick and afflicted and all to realize the kingdom of God is coming when there'll be no more sickness, no more sorrow, no more death. That is a wonderful thing. But we want to talk today about the second coming of Christ. And there's no subject, as far as I know, that's more neglected or distorted uh, than this teaching of Jesus' second coming. Uh, but when we really put it in its correct place, it is a, a fulfillment of all, all the prophecies of the Bible. In fact, uh, Morris Joblin, early Church of God man, said that there is nothing that God has ever promised to the righteous that it can ever be fulfilled until Jesus comes again. So it is very important. And it's messianic and it's apocalyptic, as uh, George Towns said. And, and we always like to contrast the two comings. Uh, the first coming, <clears throat> was the messianic hopes of the people were very strong. They were expecting him to come. And even the Magi who came from the east, they say, we've seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. And uh, but the thing about the first century disciples is that all they could see was the first coming. And a lot of times I, I uh, describe this as being in a, standing in the line of a, a perfect line of fence posts or a, a perfect line of telephone posts, all you can see when you're standing there is the first one. You're standing in the line. All you can see is the first one. You go over the side and then you can see that there were two. But where they were in the first century looking, all they could see was the first coming. And uh, so they really expected him to fulfill all of the predictions of Messiah, casting off the yoke of their oppressors and bringing in everlasting righteousness and forgiveness of sins and all this. So he had to tell them very plainly, I will be rejected, I will be crucified, I will die, but I will be raised again. So uh, they didn't like to hear it. Uh, in fact, uh, he called Peter Satan. Uh, because he said, oh, Lord, that's not going to happen to you. But he, he knew it would. So the parable of the pounds that I read to you here from the 19th of Luke, Jesus gave because they thought the kingdom of God would immediately appear. And they expected Jesus to restore the kingdom right then, before he ever ascended. In fact, that text I, that we often read, uh, Acts 1, 6, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? We talked about that last Sunday in, in our message about the kingdom. So they really expected him uh, to restore the kingdom before he went away. So when you go into the Gospels, which are the record of Jesus' ministry, you find him talking to them many times uh, about his, his second coming. There are three main texts, or four, and they're all definitely connected. 
Matthew 24, Mark 13, Luke 17, and Luke 21, in which, in fact, they actually asked him, as it is in Matthew 24, Lord, uh, when shall these things be, as far as the casting down and destruction of the temple? What shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the age? This is the question they asked him of three parts there in Matthew 24. So he gave, uh, gave the signs. But the thing that, that I like to uh, emphasize about the, the second coming of Christ is how real it will be. Uh, it's not gaseous. It's not spiritual. It's not uh, something we can't understand or think about. He, he said, I'm going away. I'm coming back. That's what the, that's what the parable of the pound said. The nobleman went into a far country to receive him for himself a kingdom and to return. Gave to his disciples, his followers, the charge. It, it, talk, it talks about pounds or money, but it, it was talking about the gospel and the, the message that he had given to them. And, he, and it says, and when he returned, having received the kingdom, he called them uh, to give account. Uh, when you dig into the background of this this parable, it is thought that one of Herod the Great's sons went to Rome to get the kingdom. In other words, they, after Herod the Great died, it was divided up between his sons. And one of them, in order to, you might say, button down the job of the kingdom, he went to Rome and they, they gave him the kingdom. So, he went into the far country to receive a kingdom, and he returned. Jesus is the nobleman who goes into the far kingdom, to the, that is, to heaven, to God's throne, to receive the kingdom, and he will receive the kingdom and will return. So that that is as, about the simplest way you can can state it. In other words, he, he said he would come again. He promised he would return. And uh, there are these many uh, plain statements, Acts 1, 10, uh, when he was taken up, he said that the two men stood by them in white apparel, which we believe may have been angelic messengers. He said, Why do you stand gazing into the heaven? The same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as you have seen him go into heaven. And so, there, you see him go, he will come in like manner. In fact, uh, the text that we sometimes use in Zechariah 14 about his feet standing on the Mount of Olives is really talking about Yahweh, not on, about Jesus, but we know that he will come back the same way and the same place as when he went. So there are many texts, First Thessalonians 4, about the Lord himself, and uh, Hebrews 9.28, he will come the second time without a sin offering unto salvation. And those many texts in Matthew 24 and again here in Luke 19. But the thing that we like to bring out to people is that he will personally return. The Lord himself shall descend from heaven, the same Jesus. So he's coming personally. He's coming literally. That's one of the things about the dialogue, which I love, but Benjamin Wilson took the Greek word parousia and he translated presence every time. And um, 
Russell liked that very much because he believes in the secret presence. But when you dig into that word, it, it meant it was a technical expression for the arrival of the king. And arrival has to be before a presence. Somebody's not present until after they arrive. And so it should have been translated arrival or coming all the way through instead of presence because he's, he's literally coming back. The same Jesus. In fact, uh, the uh, same word was used of one of uh, Paul's associates talking about the parousia of Titus. So he wasn't coming spiritually, he came literally. Jesus will come literally. In fact, the many texts uh, that I think that are very important, the one in Matthew says, if somebody comes and tells you he's in the secret chambers, believe it not. In fact, that's the only time the word secret occurs in reference to the second coming. And then it says, don't believe it if anybody tells you he's in secret chambers. He's coming visibly and personally. In fact, Revelation 1.7, He comes with clouds, and every eye shall see Him. Uh, they also which pierced Him, even His enemies, will see Him coming in power and great glory. There are texts that talk about Him coming as a thief, like 1 Thessalonians 5. But then when he, when he says he comes as a, he says I come as a thief then it goes on to say you shall not know what hour I will come. As he said if the if the householder had known in what hour the thief would come he'd sit up with a gun and wait for him. So you don't know when I'm coming and that that's all the application is of a thief like that it does not mean coming secretly or unobserved or sneaking in. He's going to come visibly and powerfully. In, in power and great glory. In fact, all of the texts, uh, Matthew twenty four thirty, and one I love, especially Matthew twenty five thirty one, when he comes in his glory, and he will sit upon the throne of his glory. What I like to say is, <clears throat> the two comings of Jesus are a great contrast. The first was lowly, born in a stable, laying in a manger. When he comes the second time, he's going to come as a powerful king and ruler in power and great brilliance and glory uh, to take the reins of the earth. So it will be uh, a very special time. And uh, the thing that that I always uh, hasten to bring out is just like in the parable of the pounds, he did not tell when he was going to return. That one of the texts that talks about uh, one of the gospels that gives that same reasoning said after a long time. So, in other words, it was he was trying to indicate to them that it w- would not be soon. And um, I really, I really think that 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 is not, to, in my mind anyway, that is not a drawback. That is not a reason to be. Uh, complacent or laid back in regard to the second coming. In other words, God said it's going to happen in all of his prophecies. Jesus said he was going to return. He will return. And really, basically, the time is unimportant. The thing that is important, I feel, is the 
fact that there's in every case where it talks about the second coming of Christ, it says, watch, be ready, be prepared. Uh, because he said, you don't know when he's coming. And that is that is the main thing. Uh, we don't want to be like those who say, well, uh, so-and-so is coming to my house, and I, uh, so I'm cleaning and polishing and dusting and preparing a meal. We we are we are to be prepared at all times because we don't know when he's coming, morning, noon, or night, and so therefore we we need to be ready. The thing that I bring out sometimes, and this may bother some people, but there are, I feel that the Bible lists uh, certain things that uh, we believe will occur before Jesus comes: the the tribulation, the peace and safety cry. And all, some of these different uh, things that we believe will occur, but that still does not do away with the fact that the coming of Christ is imminent. The word imminent means just hanging back, ready to occur at any moment. And that's, that's the way I feel about the second coming, that it is imminent and could occur at any time, even though we see things that we feel must come to pass. In fact, uh, when I was mentioning that that the United States is pressuring Israel to give up uh, East Jerusalem, give up Jerusalem, uh, I really think this is maybe one of the signs of uh, the imminent return of Jesus is to, for land and peace and security, they would give up what is to them the most precious thing on earth. So, uh, this is this is very important, and uh, when we dig into this, <clears throat> to this coming, we find that there is a purpose in His coming. Just as Morris Joblin said, there is nothing that God has ever promised the faithful will be fulfilled until Jesus returns. It's the time of reward. Become in Revelation twenty two twelve, Jesus said, "Behold, I come quickly, and my reward is with me." Nobody has been rewarded. Yet, parable of pounds, he comes back, calls his people to give account, and rewards them. First uh, Corinthians fifteen twenty three talks about the, it being the time of the resurrection of the dead, when the dead will be raised. A lot of people have developed a great uh, rapture theology, but rapture does not occur in the Bible, and it is not a separate event having to do with the second coming of Jesus. I was raised uh, way back in in the so-called two phase of Christ that he was coming in the rapture to take the saints to heaven and then seven seven years later he's going to come and bring them back to earth called the revelation. I don't find that in the scripture at all. In fact, that's one of the things that, that I have talked about uh, all this, uh, all these years, it's just um, it's it's not a it's not a Bible uh, doctrine. In fact, First Thessalonians the fourth chapter, which is wonderful and favorite, says Jesus descends from heaven, and that's a Greek word oranos. He comes into the air, a e r, and that is the Greek word atmosphere. Well. The early disciples may not have known the difference between heaven and atmosphere, but we do. 
Spence, we're in the space age and people are out there looking. And you look at the earth and there's that little thin atmosphere uh, around the earth. Very thin. And that is what Jesus is coming into. He's leaving heaven, a place, coming into the earth's atmosphere where the saints will be caught up to meet him in the air or atmosphere. There is no promise in the Bible anywhere that any saint of God will ever go to heaven at any time for any length of time. He's coming here. We're not going there. And when he comes, we go out and meet him in a sort of a bridal procession in a, a great victory time when the bridegroom comes to claim the bride, the church and his people, to be glorified in him and to live forever on this earth. Second Timothy four one, we brought this up last week, but it talks about his appearing and his kingdom, and they occur at the same time. So over and over again in the early church, Jesus taught them I have to go away, but I'm gonna come back. And so in the early church, in Acts 1, 2, and on up through there, after they said, Lord, will you uh, at this time restore again the kingdom of Israel? He said, it's not for you to know the times and seasons which the Father has placed in his own power. But the promise is he would return and the people of God have looked for Jesus to return ever since he went away. And we are looking for that today and watching and waiting and being prepared for Him to come. And uh, we we pray for Him to come. We love His appearing. Uh, we desire it. We watch for it. And we die our, deny ourselves and, and prepare ourselves for, for Him to come. So when He comes, He'll know us and we'll know Him. And we'll go in with him into the kingdom of God without fear. This will be a wonderful time and we surely uh, pray for it. And all I can say is, along with Georgetowns, let's not let the Hellenistic world convince us that the second coming is not important. It is. And we look for it. Thank you for your time.